0: This is the Hockey News Fantasy Podcast of Matt Larkin.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to a special edition of the Hockey News Fantasy Podcast. It's Matt Larkin here with producer Stephen Ellis as well. And this is not a traditional fantasy podcast. Of course, most of you have probably completed your leagues. I have completed mine. I finished in third place, lost in the semifinals. Congratulations to our league champion, Millie. He's named after Mike Milbury for his history of bad trades. And this guy hasn't won in 18 years until last week. He did it. So congratulations, Millie. Hopefully uh, some of you won your pools. If you did, congratulations. This week, what we're gonna talk about is everything to do with keeper leagues. Most of you, most leagues, this time of year is when you start having to declare your keepers. And by far the most common questions I get throughout the year are, should I keep this person? Should I keep this person? So I really want to give you the floor to ask me those questions. That's what I've done for this episode. We're going to do all keeper stuff. For starters, I'm going to give you some recommendations, okay? So normally I give you a shallow, medium, deep league pickup. I'm going to do the same, but for a keeper based on ownership, because some of you, you might have league rules that permit you to still pick up a player and stash them as a keeper. Okay, so we'll start with a shallow keeper target, Alex Adelkovic, available in 38% of leagues. This guy on a per 60 minute basis was as good as any goaltender in the league right there with UC Saros this year. He was, I think I think a league winner for a lot of people. He got hot down the stretch once when Peter Mastik was hurt. He got control of the job, put up some tremendous numbers. And if you look at the Carolina Hurricanes situation, They have two UFAs in Peter Mrazic and James Reimer. They have a goaltender who's not eligible, or or, sorry, sorry, who who they will be claiming or protecting in the expansion draft in Ndalkovic because they don't have to protect Reimer or Mrazic because they're UFAs. Even if they wanna bring them back, there's no reason to sign that deal. It could be a handshake agreement that they announce after the expansion draft. So we know that Ndalkovic is gonna be there. He's on a team that's going to be good for a long time. So to me, he's shaping up to be a number one goaltender in fantasy for years to come. Even if he regresses a little bit, we know that the Hurricanes are a really strong team. And I think he's going to be at worst, you know, a top 12, top 15 goaltender next year with upside to be a top five goaltender. That's your shallow league keeper target. Your medium league keeper target. Let's keep the goaltending train going. I'm going to say Jeremy Swayman of the Boston Bruins, available in 63% of leagues right now. So we know it's pretty clear that Swayman, with his outstanding play down the stretch, passed Dan Vladder on the depth chart, and he also has pushed Yaroslav Halak most likely out of town, Halak is a UFA. We know that Tuukka Rask is also a UFA. He's probably going to be coming back at a discount, hometown discount, but we know about Rask, the way the Bruins manage his workload, he doesn't play as much as most starters. He might, you know, in a full season, start 45 to 50 games. So if you have Jeremy Swayman, you have a really strong prospect goaltender who looked really good this year and is probably a pretty safe bet to start 30 games. And if you're in a two goalie league, he could be your number two. If you're in a three goalie league, he could be an elite number three. He's going to have very, very good rate stats playing on the Boston Bruins. So he's a sneaky keeper ad as well. Your deep keeper targets. So this is a, a bit more of a deep cut right now because he's available in 97% of leagues. And that's Nick Robertson of the Toronto Maple Leafs. So why would you want to keep Nick Robertson? Well, we know the upside's there. He was a tremendous scoring junior, better than a goal per game his final year. There was a lot of hype, a lot of helium, if you will, around Robertson going into the season. He gets hurt, hurts his knee. He ends up missing a big chunk of t- time to start the season. He ends up going back to the Marlies. He's sort of in that taxi squad hell, bouncing back and forth. But if you look at the Leafs catch situation, you know that Zach Hyman is UFA and they have a lot of UFAs in the forward group, but they're not going to be able to keep all of them. It's possible that Zach Hyman has priced himself out of town. Whatever happens, there's a good chance that Robertson will have an opportunity to rise up that depth chart. And if he can get into the top six, anybody in a top six role in Toronto with those forwards is in a very fantasy friendly situation. So I think Robertson has a much greater chance to be an impact player next year. Maybe do something like what his brother Jason has done this year. I'm going to give you a tip. This is a keeper oriented tip of the week. And the tip I have for you is that young is not always good when it comes to keepers. So there may be a temptation, for example, to always keep someone like Tim Stoitzler or, or, or Kiro Kaprazov over someone like a Patrice Bergeron. And in certain situations, if your league has Contract limits, if it has salaries and rookies make less money in your salary system, that always makes sense, of course. But if you're in a league format where everything is equal and someone like Patrice Bergeron, you can keep for as long as you can keep any rookie and there's no restrictions on salaries. If you're a veteran player, you don't have a higher salary, you have no salary cap in your league. Sometimes the veteran player is actually the better keep. So if you use the Bergeron example. Bergeron, in a full season next year, maybe he's going to play 65, 70 games. He's probably pretty safe bet for 70 points. So if you're keeping Tim Stutzla over him, you're betting on Stutzla getting – many points next year maybe the year after it's not a guarantee so just be careful don't always pounce on the young guy keeper immediately just take a good look at the player's situation and what he what he's done this year what his role is going to be going forward it's not always a given that you just bet on the young guy it's also a good tip you can use this to trick other gms which i do all the time you take that sexy rookie who is a first round pick throw him into a trade And you get a team that's struggling to be excited over that younger player who still might not be really useful in fantasy for a couple more seasons. So uh, I know there are a lot of questions this week because people need help with their keeper decisions. So Stephen, I'm going to turn the floor to you to get those questions going and I'm ready to help Uh, if the decisions go wrong. Don't blame me. This is just advice. Don't take my word as gospel. Think of it as extra information, but you still have to make the decisions yourself, everyone. Okay, I will help you as best I can. Steven, I'm ready.
0: I gotta say your tip of the week is probably my favorite one so far. It's it's something that's really worth looking at, even in real life NHL, where I think people overvalue their prospects a big time. You look at the Jack Eichel trade rumors and people are like, I don't want to give away third best prospect in the team to get Eichel. It's like, no, if you have someone who's going to make a difference for you, You go for it. The the future is great. Prospects are great. Young guys are great. But there's still so many unknowns. You might as well go with the proven in a lot of cases. Also, I just want to say, um, based off of some of the advice you gave on this podcast, I went from being dead last in my pool to winning in a tiebreaker, the championship. Uh, I was third place heading into the final week. And I won off of just having more total points throughout the year. So. That was tough. All right. Our first question is from Ayush Das, who asks, can you talk about trading picks and when it's beneficial? Also, what's the best way to retain managers from year to year? It seems like whatever league I'm in, we lose at least one person and then finding someone to take over a team is so tough.
1: Yeah. Okay. So for trading picks, typically it's sort of similar to real life. So if you're in a contender spot and you're ready to go for it, you feel like you have that critical mass of good players. That's obviously a good time to trade picks. It could be at the deadline. You could be aggressive in the offseason, make a move that's totally fair. But I I think in terms of how to use your picks, it really is important to know who is being kept in the league and in turn, who's going to be available in your draft. So for example, if I use my own league as an example, we have contract limits, right, for players. So in the first year of our league, all the top players get picked. It's Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews, etc., and they have three-year terms. So if you're trading picks in year three, those picks are worth way more because all the top players are going back into the pool. If you're trading a pick early in, a, in, in your league, right, when all the top players are still going to be uh, wrapped up for years to come, those picks are not worth as much. So you really have to pay attention to that cycle if you have term limits on your players, because... Picks are worth more in certain years than others. For example, again, I always go back to my league. We restarted our league this year because of COVID. So everyone is is in year one of their deal. So this year picks are not worth very much because if you have a first round pick next year, you can't get Austin Matthews or Patrick Kane or any of those players because they're all still going to be signed. So you have to be careful and really study that when it comes to your picks Uh, in in terms of trying to retain managers year to year, there are, there are a few tricks. Um, I think incentivize would be the word that I use. So there's different ways to do it. So you can make your league for money. That always gets a lot of people interested. You could have a great trophy. You can make your league very social and add all these different frills. You know, I've been in leagues where people write weekly power rankings, almost like an article every week. So it gets the league more engaged and fired up. And then it makes the league more unique and people want to go back and stay there and it becomes kind of their their number one league. So that's one way to do it. Um, And I think another piece of advice I would give is don't be afraid to contract. The league. So let's say you have a league that has 14 teams and you're really having trouble, you know, the, the 13th and 14th, those teams keep dropping out, then consider going down to 10 teams, 12 teams, and sort of think of your league like a nightclub. It looks better if there's a lineup outside. So instead of having a 16 team league where there's a couple dud rosters and they're automatic wins, whoever's playing them head to head, you go with the 10 team league with a waiting list. And there's people really anxious to get in the 10 teams that are in there are really engaged. And if you get a really strong group there with a good, the waiting list getting longer, then you can expand again and start building the lead back up, but never be afraid to contract. If you're having trouble finding uh, engaged GMs.
0: All right. Ryan Crawford says keepers already Hart, Vasilevsky, Shifley and Crosby. Who should I keep? Kyle Connor, Patrick Kane, Carey Price, Brady Kachuk, or Max Pacioretty. Get to keep for four years, 10 teams, and my first selection is last pick of the fourth round. Ooh, that's a lot of draft picks gone.
1: Yeah, well, first off, I I would keep Patrick Kane before Sidney Crosby. It's interesting that, Ryan, you have uh, Crosby as sort of a given. To me, Patrick Kane, he's younger. He scores more than Crosby. I, I don't see why you, you'd want to keep Crosby before Patrick Kane, so I would consider doing that. Uh, but addressing your question more directly, if your league counts shots and hits, you got to go Brady Kachuk because he just seems like he's going to be finishing at the top of both those categories for years to come. So he's almost like a cheat code in leagues that have hits and shots, kind of the way Alex Ovechkin has been for much of his career. If it's just a shots league, maybe you go Kyle Connor. Uh, but I think if it's if it's more of a points-heavy league, then I think you, you want to go uh, Kane from that group. But again, I would consider... You know, you're, you've got Hart. I'm looking at your list now. Hart, Vasilevsky, Shifley, Crosby. You could consider swapping in Kane for Shifley as well and you keep Crosby and Kane. Uh, I don't think that's a given. But if you want me to address the question more directly, I would say Kachuk for Hits and Shots League. Otherwise, probably Patrick Kane.
0: All right. The next question comes from Iman Devlin, who asks, a bit of a different question, question but how do I join or start a keeper lead? I love fantasy hockey and Keeper league sound like so much fun but I only have two other groups would be willing to play or two other players I should say assuming that's too small of a group any tips on joining or setting up a keeper league
1: Yeah I think the best way to set up a keeper league is to not start it as a keeper league because the idea of a keeper league can be too daunting it can, it can sort of turn people off from joining oh, and managing roster year to year that sounds like a lot of work so what I think you should do, and I find this is the best way to do it, is, is sort of get people hooked on the redraft format first. So it might take a couple of years, you play it like a normal league, You know, it's, it's a one-off, you get a really strong group that's really engaged and they're invested in the league. It becomes something they really enjoy year to year. Maybe they've built some relationships with the other teams. And once you get that, you have a group that you feel really solid with then you can say, hey, everyone, what do you think about turning this into a Keeper League? And by then people are more invested in the league. It's a it's a thing that's a, a major hobby in their life. They think, okay, yeah, I think this would be really fun to play with the same group, but make make the stakes a little higher. But I think if you go cold, jumping right into Keeper League, it's harder to find people that are interested.
0: All right, that, that's a very good question. It's hard to just get these things started. And especially if not everyone's kind of on the same wavelength of how much they actually want to do it, how much time they want to do. When you're doing a Keeper League, it's it's deep it's not uh you check once a week like you're you're paying attention all the time and listening to this podcast obviously and you're paying attention in the off season too it's not like you get a break in the summer you can
1: still be making trades and all that kind of stuff even when hockey's not being played so it is a big commitment
0: you're an nhl gm at that point and you know there's some teams that could use you right now all right ranton and raven ask and by the way ran and raven you're an awesome uh, viewer you sent a lot of questions you're great for that this will be my second go around tagging Jack Hughes as a keeper. He is my lowest score on my team. Non-keeper first rounders last season included Brady Kachuk and JT Miller. Do you see any reason to hang on to him or just try my luck at getting him back in the draft?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, I would hang on to Jack Hughes. So the underlying numbers this season, last year he was one of the worst rookies in the league. He was really unlucky, but he also just in terms of creating offense, he just had a, a terrible season. Um, This year, he's unlucky again, extremely unlucky, but he was vastly improved in terms of his ability to drive to play. So I think he's knocking on the door of being very productive. And and he started out the season really well. But also everything around him just kind of went wrong. You look at the Devils having all the COVID problems to start the season. You had Nico Heischer with that sinus injury. So there was less insulation protection metric wise in the lineup in New Jersey for Jack Hughes. So I think next year, theoretically, he should have a better situation around him. And you never know. know, does Alexander Holtz come over and make the team's rookie? maybe it, 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 I couldn't, I don't think you could rule it out. Uh, but either way, I, I think there's nowhere to go, but up in terms of Hughes's fantasy situation. And the other thing is, so I think that if you let Hughes go back into your pool, he might be a little bit harder to draft next year because this year, so the 2020 draft class had Tim suits, it had Alexi Lafreniere, Quentin Byfield. There were a lot of buzzy rookies that were into the draft class and fantasy pools that, that sort of drew attention. Whereas this draft class, the 2021 is not considered as strong. And it's also very defense heavy, the top players. So it's not even a guarantee that we're going to see anyone from the 2021 draft class going right to the NHL and making an impact because of that, there's going to be not as many young rookies to, to sort of attract drafters attention, which means to me, Jack Hughes is not going to fall in the draft next year if he's back in your pool.
0: So I think he'll be harder to get next year. And for that reason, I would hold on to him. I, I'm gonna go on and say I don't think any of the 2021 prospects are gonna make it right away in the NHL. Uh, considering the challenges that those players had, anyways, with shortened seasons, it just doesn't make sense to send them up. So I do yeah, agree there. That's right. And if you look at our sorry, didn't mean to cut you off there, yep. Stephen. Um,
1: our draft rankings that Brian Kennedy does, he's got defenseman, defenseman at the top, right? And Owen Power and Simon Eppinson. So, and they're, and they're not the only two. There's Luke Hughes in that group as well. So it's a, it's a it's a defense
0: heavy group. Don't forget Brandt Clark, who I still think is going to be the best pl- prospect from this draft. Five years down the line, he's also going to be one of the best fantasy players from this draft. All right, Austin Garnet, deep points only keeper league. Pick one, Glass, Kratzoff, or Kokniemi. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna say Cody Glass. If you look at Vegas's depth
1: chart, the only people that Glass has to pass, Glass has to pass to be the number one center is Chandler Stevenson, who you know he's kind of an overachiever. He's been pretty good. Uh William Carlson, who you know, he's never going to live up to what he did his first season in Vegas. So I still think that Cody Glass, unless Vegas makes a big move, if you heard our regular podcast, I said they should go for Jack Eichel, but for now, he's still their number one center of the future. If he can even stick as their number two center by next season, he's going to be relevant in fantasies because number two, if you're the number two center in Vegas, you still play with Marchesson, you know, Riley Smith or Alex Tuck. If you're the number one center, you play with Max Pacioretty on the left and mark stone on the right which is a great setup but either way i just think that his team needs him more uh, if you look at vitaly Kravtsov, he's an exciting player i think that you know scouts coaches i just remember when he called up or when the rangers drafted him i remember talking to scouts from their organization they love him they love his long-term potential but the rangers their depth chart is just a bit more crowded they're fairly deep at forward so there's more competition to climb up in that lineup i think and Kotkaniemi, I would say, if you have a later deadline to declare, it might be worth watching to see what the Habs do with Thomas Tatar, Philip Deneau, Joel Armia. If they don't re-sign all those guys or, you know, they, they re-sign one of them, then I think there's going to be room for Kotkaniemi to climb that depth chart. So maybe he'll be a more intriguing keeper. Uh,
0: but for now, I, I lean to Cody Glass. I just want to say we got a bit of a news break. Seattle has signed its first player, Ooh. Luke Luke Henman, a center out of the QMJHL from Dartmouth, played with Blainville, uh, Roisman, um, over, or nearly a point per game player uh, in f- about five years four full time. Um, I kind of like a free Duke. I'd be totally shocked if this guy ever makes it to the NHL. But you know what? Being the first player to be signed by a team, especially a guy who was signed or drafted by Carolina and let go. That's a cool moment for him. So congratulations to him. Uh, ignore my comments saying you probably won't play in the end uh, show. <laughs> Brandon O'Dell asked Patrice Bergeron or Steven Stamkos.
1: Yeah, this is an interesting question because, Easy one though, easy one.
0: Well, in it, my it isn't, it isn't right. So
1: you think, well, it's, it's Steven Stamkos. He's younger. He's had the better career, but you know, he is banged up all the time. Um, and if you're in a shots league, Patrice Bergeron has started doing crazy things. Like he's averaging almost three and a half shots per game, just playing on that perfection line. They generate so many chances that Bergeron has become more valuable in those leagues. So I know in my own league, because Yahoo, I think they adjust the rankings to your own scoring system. Now Bergeron finishes like the 15th overall player or something in my format, which counts shots. He was that valuable in fantasy. So I do think it's a tough decision and it's a good question. I still probably lean towards Stamkos because he's four years younger than Patrice Bergeron. So there's probably a bit more upside left in his stick And even though Stamkos is injury prone, in a full season, Bergeron usually only plays 65, 68, you know, something like that, right? He's usually a safe bet to miss double-digit games as well. So it's not like he has this significant health edge over Stamkos. And over the past two seasons, Stamkos has 100 points in 95 games, Bergeron 104 points in 115 games. So Stamkos still has been more productive when in the lineup. So if you add up all those factors,
0: I, I say Stamkos, but I think it's close. Oh, my answer was going to be Bergeron, just solely because I'm like afraid of taking anyone who's injured at the rate of Steven Stamkos. Like why Tarasenko? I'll never draft him, regardless if he comes off of a 2,000 point season. I'm afraid mm-hmm. to pick him. Uh, Philip Grubauer to a point concerns me because of how often he he missed time. So guys like that. Tyler mm-hmm. H asked, choose one to keep for my points league: Nechez, Dubois, or Fiala.
1: Yeah, another good one. These are all good. Um, we'll start with Pierre Luc Dubois uh, he's a, he's an exciting real life player. He's got that great size. He's got that snarl. He's got the combination of strength and skill and he's going to have a good career, but in fantasy, I think he's become overrated because people think about, you know, especially because he played in a lot of nationally televised games in Canada in the playoffs last year, the play-ins against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And he had that big series, had the hat trick in that game. And I think it's sort of attracted a lot of attention to Dubois. A lot of people, you know, penning those think pieces that Dubois is the type of player that every team needs and I think that's true, but I think if you look at the production, it's been so-so in fantasy. Uh, and as for netrish and Fiala, I lean slightly toward Nettish, especially, so this question, it's Tyler H says points league. So if this, is, if this is just strictly a points league. Then I say Martin Netrish. I think he had a really nice breakout this season. His his sort of rise since he was drafted in 2017 in the first round has been very steady. He's really settled in nicely to the second line all year long, had really good chemistry with Vincent Trocek and Nino Niederreiter. And that's a really good situation now. Carolina, they got a good power play and Netschish's role is going to keep growing. He's sort of becoming exactly what he was supposed to become he's also shooting the puck a lot more he's not a zero in the shots department even though he profiles as more of a playmaker but if you're in a shots league I could see the case for Kevin Fiala as well uh he can be annoyingly streaky sometimes he goes cold for a very long stretch you drop him and then someone else gets him and then you next next thing you know he's a point per game player for 20 games at a time that just might be who he is throughout his career I'm not sure but either way the end stat line is always going to be pretty solid with Fiala I had the breakout last year 40 points, I believe, this year, 20 goals. And he's he's shooting the puck a ton. So I, I could see the case for picking Fiala over Netchisch in that format. But Netish, of course, is a couple years younger. So I lean Netchish overall.
0: All right. Jeff Klein asks, Stutzel or Zygris and Shisterkin or Sorokin.
1: Yeah, these are good ones. So It's interesting. Okay. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say Stutzla over Zegers, even though, so if you're a fan of our future watch edition, I just did a big profile interview with Trevor Zegers and and talked to a bunch of scouts about him and the scouts love him. They think he's going to be an absolute star in this league, especially if you're talking, you know, if you're talking to scouts who are not putting their name out there on the record and they just want to kind of speak freely, they love Trevor Zegers. They think he's going to be magical. He's got tremendous hands. He's extremely creative with the puck. So I think he's going to have a phenomenal career, but if you look at what Tim Stutzla is doing already, you know he's already having hats rained in his backyard, and he's still a teenager. So the fact that he could jump right to the NHL and be as effective as he is already, it's a testament to what he can do. And I think he's got a higher ceiling. I think he's gonna has a better chance to be a superstar. But that said, I really like both of them. I don't. You can't go wrong with either. I just lean slightly towards Stutzla relative to what he's doing because he's still a couple years younger than Zegers, right? So I, that's why I lean. Or I guess he's one year younger than Zegers. Um, but I still lean towards Stutzla. Uh, and, and for the goaltending conundrum, so Igor Shesterkin, Ilya Sorokin. They're both excellent goaltenders. I, I like their situations long-term, but I do lean towards Shesterkin, uh, especially because I, the way the Rangers are behaving with their management, bringing in Chris Drury, it seems like they're really interested in winning now, which might mean that, you know, they they might sacrifice their long-term future, but in the short term or medium term, I guess they're going to be more competitive, which means the team around Shesterkin should keep improving. And he's just, he's the unquestioned starter on that team. It's not like Georgiev is real competition for the, the big, number one job. So, especially in leagues that count volume stats, you have to go And The Rangers also improved a lot defensively this year, which is a great sign. And Ilya Sorokin, um, he's exempt from the expansion draft, so that means that the Islanders can protect Semyon Varlamov. So, they're going to have both, and they, just, they run with sort of a tandem system, and you have to give credit to Varlamov. He just Played really well this year and he played well enough to hold off Sorokin. Sorokin was still good too, but Varlamov was better. So you're still looking at a timeshare there for at least another year. I still think Sirokin's absolutely worth owning in keeper leagues because his long-term potential is excellent, but there's still a couple more years on Varlamov's contract after this one. So I, I still think you have to worry about that timeshare. So I lean Shostokin.
0: Uh, Jared, our social media manager, is a big fan of Zgris and really, really likes him in the pool. Um, I got to say, though, someone I know who doesn't follow hockey too, too much as much as they used to, actually got rid of Zgris and their keeper to keep Jonathan Tase. Well,
1: Jonathan Tase, that kind of goes back to the younger versus the younger versus uh or is younger better and keeper right so as an example let's say jonathan Taves comes back healthy next year he's probably at least a 50 point player so then you have to ask yourself do we know trevor zekers is going to be a 50 point player
0: next year you don't necessarily know that's why you have to ask yourself that question about is younger always better just scares me thinking that he obviously didn't play this year and then it didn't seem like there was any confirmation he would come back next year based off of comments from chicago so obviously we'd love to see him back that'd be really nice Cody Thompson asks, Patch or Connor standard points league? If you're saying Connor McDavid, I think the answer is easy. If you're saying Kyle Connor, who I think you're actually talking about, different story.
1: Yeah, and to me, this is an easy one. Uh Kyle Connor is eight years younger than Max Patrick. And he already has the same numbers year to year as Patri. Um he's like Kyle Connor's he's 24. Patrick is 32. Connor's career high in goals is 38. Patchretti 39 and, and Patrick's eight years older. So Connor's already reaching the highest level that Patretti's ever reached. Uh, and he's already beaten Patch's career high in points by six. I know Patri would have probably set a new career high this year, but it just sort of tells you that Kyle Connor has already reached that level at a younger age. So I think his ceiling's higher. And I think if we get a full season of Kyle Connor, not shortened, I think we're gonna get eventually a 40 goal, 80 point season.
0: I think that's gonna be the peak for Kyle Connor, which is higher than the peak we've seen from Max Patrietti. Al Connor has been one of my best players in fantasy hockey for quite some time. And he played at the world championship, great t- tournament. So the most important term.
1: Steven and I, if you're wondering why I'm doing, we have a feud years long feud over the world championship. I'm not a fan of the tournament. I think it's a meaningless tournament because it's not best on best. It's just, yeah, whoever's available. It's basically road hockey. Like, you know, when you're a kid and you, and you just see who's home who can play on a random Saturday and it, that's kind of how the world's work. It's like, uh, who missed the playoffs? Who's around? Who's available? Now uh, we have these guys. Uh, we have these guys. Uh, like Canada, we have we have Aiden Hill. Uh, so it, it doesn't determine anything. That's what bothers me about the world championship.
0: Well, uh, I, I gave you a shout out or maybe a shout down in my article today about Team Canada. So uh, I, I mentioned that you're not a huge fan of that. I love the term. Anyways, moving on. Brendan Mazzi asks, Mrazik, so- Soros, Sorokin, Swayman. A lot of S's. Can only keep two. We have a minor league system that I own Adelkovich in, so he'd be a call-up for next season. That's quite a call-up. Could Boston walk away from Rask after this year?
1: Good, okay. So I would go from this group, UC Saros and Ilya Sorokin. So Saros is pretty easy because he, in terms of his rate stats, was the best goalie in the entire league this year, and he carried... Nashville into the playoffs. So there's the, the Soros versus Rene thing is kind of over, especially as Renee's, you know, nearing the end of the line now. It's Sar- and of course you have Yaroslav Askarov in the system, but he's still going to be a little while longer because goalies take a long time to mature. Uh, so to me, UC Soros is, is, is an easy pick. Uh, the reason why I say Sorokin for the other one. So Mrazik, we just don't know where he's going to be. He's a UFA. He, we don't even know if he's going to be a starter next year. It's too unpredictable and his game is too unpredictable year to year, week to week. And I know one of our staff members was talking to, it was one, it was a team that Mrazic used to play for. And one of the executives called him Peter Erratic instead of Peter Mrazic because you just never knew what you were going to get with him. You don't know if he's going to be healthy. So it's too unpredictable. You don't want that. Unpredictable is bad when it comes to keepers because you get, you know, you could pick Mrazic and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, Colorado signed him to be a backup. And you're like, oh, why did I keep him? And then even though I, I did recommend Jeremy Swayman as a keeper already on this podcast, I do like him. But if we're comparing him directly to Sorokin, Sorokin, I think, just has a better chance at, you know, we know that his floor is going to be playing, you know, 35 40% of the game next year. We think that is the case with Swayman. And I, I think he's still a good guy to bet on. But as for Rask, I think he's going to come back. Uh, he sort of made it clear that it's Boston or nowhere else. It's not like Rask is pushing forward. He's still in his early 30s. And I think he does want to come back. So it me, he may have to take a hometown discount, but he'll be back. And because Rask is there, I think you're better off going with Sorokin because I think Sorokin has a better chance to overtake Varlamov than Swayman does to overtake Rask, if that makes sense. So to summarize, Saros and Sorokin from that group is who I would
0: keep. I realized I was talking to myself because I was going to of... say, are you muted, Steven? Are you muted? I, I, I'm here. Uh, Joey Curias, sold team for picks. Keeping Kucherov, last round pick. How you doing? That's a How good last doing? pick. Very good last pick. Ekblad, need one more from Saros, Stutzel, Mantha, Manta. And also have Clefbaum, Taze, and D'Angelo. Scraped the waiver wire of my last moves for the season. Have six first round picks looking to win next year.
1: Yeah, okay. So, I was singing the praises of Soros. So yeah. if you're if you're really hurting for goaltenders, I could see you going Soros. The only thing is that I just, we don't know what direction Nashville's heading in as a franchise. Like this team was almost going to be a seller. So the group could crumble around. Like, let's say Nashville just gets bombed out of the playoffs by Carolina really quickly. They get swept or something. There could still be a fire sale. And then Sor- Soros is the starter on a weaker team. So you do have to be careful just relative to the other guys that you have a chance to, to keep here. Um, I would probably go Tim Stutzler just because the Senators, you know, they were a pretty good team in the last two thirds of the season, especially from a fantasy perspective. I found myself picking up more and more audible guys because they're, they're a young team, they kind of play loose and they put up a lot of points now. All of a sudden, those that generation of young kids with Josh Norris and Batherson, etc., Brady Kachuk. Uh, so I think that Sutzel's arrow is pointing squarely up. He's going to get stronger. And he's going to be, I think, there's almost no doubting he's going to be better next year. So that's probably your guy if you're really. It, especially because you said you sold your team for picks. So I was going to say, if you're in win-now mode, you could consider Anthony Mantha, who showed some flashes upon uh, joining the Capitals. He did cool off, but he was off to a good start, and he's going to be a second liner next year, pretty safely locked into that role. So in a win-now situation, I could see someone going with Mantha over Stutzla, but because I see, Joe, you said you, you sold your team for picks, so it sounds like you're playing long-term, then it, to me it's Stutzla, and it's not even close.
0: All right. Avery Ron Studler says, who should I keep? Two of Grubauer, Hellebuck, and Shifley. Oh, those are good picks. Other keepers are Panarin, Pasternak, and Marner. That's a good team.
1: Yeah, Avery, you've got a nice little stable of keepers there. Um, So because you have those three great forwards kept already in Panarin, Pasternak, and Marner, if goalies are very important, I think you can make a case for keeping both those goaltenders. Hellebuck is Slam dunk automatically keep Connor Hellebuck for sure. Um, But but it comes down to me, Shively versus Grubauer. If goalies are worth a lot in your league, if they chew up a lot of stat categories, I think you can make a pretty strong case for Grubauer. The only thing is that he's played so well this year that you have to wonder, did he price himself out of Colorado? The Avalanche have to re-sign Gabriel Landeskog. They have to re-sign Kale McCarr. And I don't think they expected Grubauer to be this good or this healthy for a full season. And it's not 100% guaranteed they can afford to resign him. So if he goes to a different team, then maybe he's not going to be as good in fantasy. If you knew he was going to be back with the Avalanche 100%, then I think those are your two keepers pretty easily. But you do have to watch. And again, I've said this before, but if if you have a longer wait time on declaring keepers, then wait until free agency and, and see where Grubauer ends up because that can make your decision for you. Uh, but otherwise, I, I think... I would consider if you had, let's say you had to make the call tomorrow, I'd probably go Hellebuck and Shifley, just because of that little bit of uncertainty with Grubauer's future.
0: Next question comes from Mo Beauregard, which is actually funny because I'm actually right now renting, I bought my first car yesterday and I'm renting a parking spot from someone named Mo Beauregard. It'd be funny if it's the same person, but keep heart or Sorokin. I can't imagine there are a lot of Mo Beauregards out there. So I'm going to I'm gonna hazard a
1: guess that this is the same Mo Beauregard.
0: If it is, that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, so keep harder Sorokin. Oh, this is a really hard one. Um, so we've already talked about Sorokin's role with the Islanders in the short to medium term. So he, he's still an important part of the team, but he's not locked into being uh, a true number one, whereas Carter Hart, we believe he is. This season, of course, was an absolute nightmare. He was arguably the worst goal in the league. He completely imploded. But, uh, and I do know, at least from what I've heard, that he was affected by, you know, just the lockdown life and living on his own. He's a big family guy. And I did a big story on Carter Hart in our magazine a couple months ago. I talked to him. I talked to his family. And you can see, you know, his parents, who are really cool people, they're extremely close, that family. So maybe being away having a harder time seeing his family has affected him. I'm not sure. But what I do know is talking to him, I, I came away so impressed with his maturity relative to his age and his mental toughness. And even though it's been a really hard year for him, I, I do think he's someone that you want to bet on to fix himself. And maybe the Flyers missing the playoffs is a blessing for him because it's going to give him more time to work on his game. He can go home to his, his home uh, in, the, in the prairies. And he, I think, just has a better chance to get his head on straight um, and he's someone who really believes in sports psychology, all that kind of stuff. So I, I don't think he's someone you want to bet against. I think he's going to figure it out. He's really talented and a really smart kid. So because of that, I'm betting that he's going to be much better next year. And he's also going to have a bigger role than it's does. So I lean toward Carter Hart, but that's a tough call. Very tough call.
0: All right, our final question before going to the starting lineup. And I got some opinions on your starting lineup choices, <laughs> but we'll go with Jim Andreen's question Barkov or Patrick Kane?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I think a year ago, you'd say, okay, Patrick Kane, that's pretty easy. But uh, Barkov really took his game to a new level this year. We knew that he was a great two-way forward, but he his offense really exploded this year. And his overall impact on the game, I don't know if we've seen a player quite like him since Sergei Fedorov. Sergei Fedorov is the one guy who won the Hart Trophy and the Selkie in the same year. And I think that Barkov, is he has that kind of skill set where he could be a top three scorer in the league one of these years and also win the Selkie. I think he is going to win the Selkie this year. But he's so unique, and he's found that extra gear offensively. He became just a massively impactful player in fantasy. Whereas Kane... He's still probably a probably a, high, a safer floor for points if your league is just purely a points league. But I think you're getting more goodies from Barkov in terms of just goals and shots and just if your league counts face up, all that kind of stuff. So I think that Barkov overall, he's also younger. So he's emerged as a slightly better keeper than Kane, which is pretty crazy. It's a testament to how good Barkov has been this year because Patrick Kane was also really good this
0: year. All right. Your starting lineup for this week is junk food. And I like some of your choices and some of them confuse me. So go for it. Yeah, it's a weird list. Okay.
1: So starting lineup is junk food. Again, not in any particular order. So number one, uh, it's a place called Craig's Cookies. And this is this is specific, I believe, to the Toronto area, uh, unless Craig's is expanding. But basically what they do is they take a, a nice gooey soft baked chocolate chip cookie. They put another dessert inside it. So it's like you have a chocolate chip cookie with an, a mini egg in it. A chocolate chip cookie with a Cadbury cream egg in it. A chocolate chip cookie with a brownie inside it. A chocolate chip cookie with an Oreo inside it. It's awesome. Highly recommend Craig's Cookies, except they're very addictive. Uh, number two, Glosset Peanuts. They're yeah, expensive. They are expensive. That's <laughs> the problem. Craig's cookie is very expensive. So you got to use it for special occasions or get people to buy you Craig's Cookies as a present. Um, number two is Glosset Peanuts. It's just, you know, back when we were allowed to go to movie theaters, it's my movie snack of choice. To hell with Glosset Raisins. Uh, but I like glossy peanuts. I don't know why. I just think they're very tasty. Uh, number three and four, I'll get through quickly because they're boring. Just chocolate cake and chocolate brownies. I just like a good chocolate baked good. I like the. I think I can hear my wife laughing behind the screen. I'm pretty sure that's her. But, but uh, I, I just keep I keep it simple. I'm laughing. Uh, I don't know why. I just I'm a man of simple taste. Okay. Uh, <laughs> number five uh, Burgers Priest so Boom. for American listeners or viewers Burgers Priest is kind of like Shake Shack in terms of the similarity of how it tastes I'd say Shake Shack is the perfect comparable uh, Burgers Priest is awesome they have a secret menu that you have to find if you're wily. my secret item is the Pope which is two patties with a deep fried portobello mushroom mixed in as what well so heck. that's awesome I think Burgers Priest to me in terms of burgers in the, in Ontario they kind of have the championship belt right now. But just think nope. If you've never been to Burgers Preach,
0: then, then think Shake Shack is the comparable. I, I, di- I disagree. I think Burgers Preach sucks. <laughs> I think it's like, like if you in Toronto specifically, you could just go to South Street Burger. It's pretty close. So it's no, better. It burger, nah. have, you ever, have you ever heard of a uh, Burger Barn in Osweigan? No. Oh, it's been, it, it's, have you ever seen the show, uh, You Got to Eat Here? Mm, yes. First time I saw it was on there. And they have this one burger where it's like, double patty and like a like chicken in the middle like a fried chicken and then it's got like brisket on top of it and bacon on top of it it just like sounds like death hearing about it but it looks really good sounds good excellent uh the last one i
1: have i just sort of put southern barbecue so i know that's sort of too much of a generalization but anything that's in that barbecue family when we were in st louis for the all-star game we went to pappy's smokehouse at the burnt Dance. amazing nashville hot chicken Hattie B's in Nashville, amazing. Anything that falls under that umbrella, I think is just awesome. And I can indulge in all day long. So that's the junk food starting lineup. Hope you enjoyed it, everyone. Our podcast, they may get spaced out a little more. Now we're reaching the playoffs and I think pools are going to be winding down, but we'll definitely be back uh, in the weeks and months to come to sort of start about talking about planning your next season or your Keeper decisions. Anything else you want to talk about, we'll, we'll tackle it on the next fantasy podcast. And hope you enjoyed your season. Hope you enjoyed this season of fantasy advice. And I hope I steered you in the right direction. Thanks a lot.
0: Thank you for listening to the Hockey News Fantasy Podcast of Matt Larkin. Make sure to send questions into Matt at THN Matt Larkin on Twitter and visit THN.com slash subscribe to have issues of the Hockey News magazine delivered right to your mailbox.